Welcome to the Global Business Women's Pod, hosted by the Greater Houston Women's Chamber of Commerce. I am Susan Dyson and extremely excited to be your podcast host. In my day job, I am proud to be the CEO, President, and Founder of the Chamber. Every Thursday at 6 p.m., we will bring you inspiring stories of women who are leading in the advancement of women and girls. We will take you with us to our premier events. You will meet entrepreneurs, executives, and philanthropists who will empower and inspire you to succeed. So please mark your calendars and join us for the Empowering Global Business Women's Pod, Thursday at 6 p.m. Please welcome to the stage, Lisa Vesterland, author, keynote speaker, and director of BEDI, and the Andrew W. Mellon Professor of the Department of Economics at the University of Pittsburgh, and Sophia Adroge, partner, Diamond McCarthy, LLC. Welcome. So excited to be here today. And welcome to Houston. And the book is hot off the press. The No Club, Putting a Stop to Women's Dead-End Work. Inordinately proud to have you here, Doctor. A little bit about yourself, please. I am born and raised in Denmark and came to the U.S. Um, supposedly for a year, and I have now been here for 30. So, uh, <laughs> And I am a professor at the University of Pittsburgh, uh, where I've been studying women's challenges in advancement um, ever since I got my PhD. Um, that's my background. No, unbelievable. I also was an immigrant who was supposed to be here only a year. And there we go. Well, I commend you and I congratulate you. I need you to take us back momentarily to a specific date in 2010, five women gathered. Now you received an email which said, you cannot say no to the following. Five women were gathering, didn't particularly know each other, but the commonality is highly successful, but professionally and personally, a lot on their plate. Took some time for you to respond because you had PhD students uh, working with you. You had National Science Foundation grants and you were on several boards. You answered. Tell us the impetus and the results. So uh, we all got together. We were um, overwhelmed with our jobs. We were overwhelmed by work that didn't seem core to what our jobs were. And we started meeting once a month to try to understand how our careers had gotten so out of whack and uh, try to keep ourselves accountable and not take on too much work. And what it ended up with is this book uh, that we have just come out with called The No Club, uh, which is co-authored with Linda Babcock, um, who uh, is a very successful author already. I'm sure you know her earlier work on negotiation called on Women Don't, Don't Ask. Um, Brenda Pizer, who's a former dean of the Heinz uh, College at Carnegie Mellon, and uh, Lori Weingard, who was the interim provost. So we were all very successful women um, but somehow our work lives had gotten out of control. And what we realized in sort of meeting was that, and now I don't know how I turned off the slides, um, what we realized was that the uh, sort of in the overwhelmness was that we were getting exceedingly uh, many demands that we were sort of had to-do lists that we simply could not keep up with and we were spending too many late nights just working and working and working. And ultimately what we uncovered was that all the work that we were doing was sort of at the end of the promotability spectrum, if you want. So it was work that 
was important to our organizations, but not to our individual careers. So we called it non-promotable work, and I'm sure lots of you are doing non-promotable work as well, because what we understood pretty quickly was that everywhere we looked, women were doing more non-promotable work uh, than men. It didn't matter, sort of, and when we think about non-promotable work, what are we talking about? We're talking about being on a committee, uh, we're talking about onboarding new hires. I'm sure many of you have been voluntold to do holiday parties. Uh, this is all non-promotable work, and what categorizes non-promotable work is it's not key to the organization. It is something that lots of people can do, and it is something um, that um, is not visible. So if you're preparing slides late at night for somebody else giving a presentation, that is a non-promotable task. Well, and actually, I think we were both probably doing non-promotable work last night in anticipation of this, but sometimes you've <laughs> got to do the work. What's interesting, if you look at your first chapter, and I encourage you all, is it starts very granular. You have Linda's list and George's list. And what happened is Linda was looking at her colleague and he had a lot less of these supposedly non-promotable tasks. So what happens to all of us, but query, at one point they just augment. And what takes you through in the book is that there is almost a month's work if someone started to actually do the math through some of the research that you did. It was not an insignificant task here or there. It's the amalgamation when it is something like 200 plus hours. I'll say before we continue in that path, it's important. We talked about five women early on. One of your colleagues passed away is my understanding, 2014. A little bit about that experience and then how that further formulated the personal journey. Yeah, so we, we started out five women. Um, a very, very dear friend of mine uh, was also part of the team. Her name was MJ Toshi. Uh, she was a lawyer uh, by training. She was very early in her career told that she couldn't litigate because women shouldn't litigate. She decided to prove that wrong and became, uh, she was named one of the top lawyers in California. And she decided to prove it so wrong that she uh, started training women to become better lawyers when she came to Pittsburgh and ultimately after she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, started um, a women's leadership initiative through Carnegie Mellon. But because she was so dedicated to really advancing women, um, once she passed, which needless to say, I mean, this was a woman who um, was such a fearful fighter for women's um, opportunities in the labor market that we decided that we really needed to continue our research um, on the non-promotable work, uh, because we had found that in every profession we looked at, women were doing more of this work. It didn't matter if you were a lawyer or a supermarket clerk, if you were working as a TSA agent, uh, if you're an engineer, an architect, women everywhere are doing a lot more of this work. And as you correctly said, they're doing a lot more of this work. In fact, um, we worked with one professional services firm where we looked at the billable hours that they had and all the hours that they kept track of, and it turned out that, as you mentioned, every single year, the women in this organization, independent of rank, were spending 200 more hours on non-promotable work than their male peers. No, absolutely, and one thing that I think, um, given what we've experienced nationally over the years, what your book appropriately notes is, it's difficult for everyone, but the situation of the authors, institutions, 
there was a sense of the lack in terms of, to some degree, the racism, classism that you experienced. But that what you also saw in your studies is that it's more severe and more problematic for women of color. And why don't you spend a little bit of time discussing some of those results? Yeah, so um, it's, it's very severe for women. It is much more severe for women of color. Um, and that comes through in many different ways. Um, what we show in our research is that women are not doing this work because they're better at it or they enjoy it. Uh, they're doing this work because we all expect them to do this work. So uh, we look at group decisions where there are men and women and we show that women end up volunteering 50% more than the men. We also see that we, when we bring in managers and they get to point to somebody in the group that they ask women 50% more. And you could wonder, is it really a good idea to ask the women? if everybody's asking them over and over, and it turns out, yes, it's a very good idea because despite the fact that the women are getting many more requests, they say yes, 50% more than the men. So women are volunteering and they're being asked a lot more. And the disturbing part is that with expectations driving this, those expectations are strong for what we expect women to do, but they're all the stronger for what we expect women of color to do. So when we ask employees, did you have access to exciting and challenging work in your organization, women of color are far more likely to say, no, I did not have access to challenging work. So um, the expectations are stronger for women and where it becomes particularly disturbing is that we have all these diversity, equity and inclusion efforts in organizations. Um, and we like to have uh, underrepresented groups on those committees and yet, a study just came out by McKinsey and Lean In that surveyed over 400 different organizations. And they were asked, do you think it's important for your organization to work on diversity, equity, and inclusion? And the vast majority, 75% of these organizations said, yes, that is critical for the well-functioning of our organization that we work on DEI. Second question was, do you reward it? Do you have any formal recognition of work on diversity, equity, and inclusion? And less than 25% said, yeah, we have some recognition. So you can imagine if you put all your underrepresented groups who are underrepresented, we should be promoting them on these initiatives and you then don't reward them. You're putting a cultural taxation on these employees where they're basically getting taxed for their own underrepresentation. That's, inc that's incredibly powerful, problematic. And adding to that, there's also the hyper scrutiny along the way, if you happen to be African-American, Hispanic, Asian, of, so it's just, it's inordinately complicated. However, we have to, our glasses more than half full. So give us some optimism, the role, the opportunity. So I think the optimism in this work is that while it is extremely damaging to women to do all this non-promotable work, it is also damaging to the organizations that employ them. So because we show that this is happening because we all expect women to do this work, not because they're better at it. It suggests that the organization is not optimally allocating assignments within the organization. It suggests that they could do better if they gave a task to the person who's better at it rather than to the one who's least likely to object. So it's in the interest of organizations to do this and the solutions are really, really simple. They're cheap. This isn't something that will take rocket science. So in my own institution, you know, for step one, you want to bring awareness. You want to talk about the fact that women are doing a lot more of this work, that it's a very large problem, and that it's not in the interest of the organization. 
Then you want to start tracking things. The organization we work with had no idea that women were spending 200 more hours every single year on this work. They immediately changed their practice. Three, come up with simple solutions. Don't ask for volunteers if you know that women are going to be the ones saying yes. When we ask for volunteers in my department now, rather than asking for volunteers, we just put names in a hat. It is not a big innovation. Everybody has one. Put names in, draw one. If you're willing to ask for volunteers, you should be willing to take anybody in the room. So take, you know, randomly assign it, take turns. Start thinking about what is actually promotable. Are we rewarding the right things within the organization? Um, in response to the work that we had done, uh, the Harvard Kennedy School changed the way that they reward non-promotable tasks, or maybe they didn't change this as much, but they started keeping track of it. So everybody has to get a certain number of points on non-promotable work, and if you don't get those points, you don't get a satisfactory performance review. So shedding light on the non-promotable work can really change the way that we do this. So once that we know that this is what is happening, we will object when we see unfair distributions of this work. We had another case at my own institution where the representatives for a committee that was supposed to have all representatives from all the sciences, very male-dominated, showed up, and they were all women. And the dean said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to work with this committee. I asked for representatives from your department. It cannot be for every committee that it's women showing up. So once you see the problem, you will respond, and it will be in the interest of the organization to do so. So that's why I, I think there is grounds for optimism. So usually when we talk about women's issues, um, it is a case where we focus just on the fairness case. It is not fair for women that they're getting lower wages. It's not fair that they can't advance. It is not fa fair that they have greater burnout. This is a problem where the corporate interest and the individual interest or the women's interest are perfectly aligned. It is not in the interest for corporations to saddle the women with all this non-promotable work. So I'm optimistic that once we talk about this, things will change. Well, and you, you end your book talking about we're, we're rooting. We're rooting, they're rooting for us. Before we give you your closing thoughts, uh, we've got little time remaining. Fabulous panel prior to us and the palpable issue of COVID, what, tra what transpired for women, whether it's setting us back 10 years, the great stagnation of what's happened, and then the opportunity yet responsibility and potential problematic aspect of the flexible work. What has COVID done uh, to, this, to, your, to your analysis, to your research, and then optimism going forward? So I, I think COVID um, makes the problem of non-promotable work all the worse. Um, because one of the things we're seeing, if you look at the screen, what, it, what does it mean to be a non-promotable task? It means that it is not visible. If we have women working from home online, a lot more of the work is going to be unnoticed. Another problem that happens if you're working online is that you're not going to have a good sense of what is promotable. You're no longer going to see who's called into the important meeting. So I've spoken to many, many new recruits, and what you're seeing time and again is that a woman is given um, an assignment, and she thinks because she's been given that assignment that that's the work that she should be doing. I spoke to uh, a female lawyer who had been very successful with her clients, but she was asked to recruit new summer interns. And she thought, oh, that's a great opportunity. I will get to know the, the firm much better. 
But if you're a lawyer, you should not be recruiting summer interns. You should be collecting billable hours. If we're working online, it's gonna be much harder to understand what I should be spending my time on. So uh, the, the online work environment is going to make this a much bigger problem. Uh, in particular, because as we're going back to the office, men are going back at higher rates than women. And it's, you know, prior research before the pandemic showed that if you're working online, you're gonna get lower wages, lower raises, and slower promotions. So um, the, the pandemic has certainly given a setback for women and it's going to give a setback that's gonna last. Another challenge, and that's what should give us some hope and why we should really hope that organizations start looking at this, is that the great resignation, which is causing every single corporation in America um, a lot of stress, <laughs> has been led by women. Um, and it's not just been led by women because they worked in different industries or were sort of mostly hit by school closings. It is continuing to be led by women. So more than ever, it is important for these organizations to hold on to their female employees. And one way to do that is to give them more exciting work. So well, I'll say you've said so much. It's very complicated <laughs> as a lawyer because you need to recruit the next generation and you want to know what's forthcoming, but you also do have to get your billable work in. But th there has to be optimism, and I think uh, you have shown that there is grit, there is grind, there is gravitas of what you've accomplished. And I think if we focus on what we can do, uh, we put an end to as much as we can and say no periodically and then... Uh, hopefully have a little luck along the way and we'll have the luxury of, of succeeding. Well, we thank you so very, very much. We appreciate you coming to Houston and highly encourage you. Uh, we've got 30 seconds. Let me give you the last word on how we can say no but make it a yes. Uh, so that's a, that's a hard timeline. <laughs> um, so I, I think the... You know, while we say that this is up to organizations, there's a lot of things that women can do on their own by recognizing that the reason why we feel so guilty when we get asked at a meeting is because we've internalized the expectation everybody else is holding of us. So pausing a little bit, sitting on your hands, letting somebody else trying to raise their hand is a good way to go. Um, another thing that we talk a lot about in the book is what are all the steps that you can take to make this easier? One of them is not just to say yes, but to negotiate your yes. So sometimes you can't say no. Sometimes you have to come up with a yes, but you can modify it. You can say, I will do the task if you take this other non-promotable task away from me. I will do it this time if somebody else does it the next time. So we have a lot of advice for doing that. But the reason why we're so passionate about this is that we have been working for decades to improve the opportunities that women have in the labor market. And what we're seeing with non-promotable work is that it is contributing to every single dimension that we've been concerned about. If you're doing non-promotable work, you will get lower wages. You will not advance as quickly as somebody else. You will not be able to negotiate your salary and you're going to be dissatisfied with your work. Those are all factors that we've been concerned about when we've been looking at women but they're held back, back in the structure of women spending every single day in the office differently than their male peers. So if we fix the way that we're spending every single day, many of these other things are gonna fall into place, and that's why we're so optimistic. Well, I know you're rooting for us. I think we all have tasks to go back and scrutinize our unpromotable tasks and get to negotiated yes. 
Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you for watching the Global Business Women's Pod brought to you by the Greater Houston Women's Chamber of Commerce. We cannot wait to see you next Thursday at 6 p.m. And remember, you can always find us at ghwcc.org.